These eight questions will help you create great photos in just about any situation. What are they? You'll find out in this episode of the Shutterbook Life Podcast. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi, and welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is your weekly photography lifestyle podcast where we all learn how to be better photographers. I'm your host, Linford Morgan, but of course, you can call me Lynn, and this is episode 58. Now, today we go back to the basics. I have eight questions to help you t- create great photos in just about any situation. Last week, we talked about how your camera sees differently than you do, and now we want to continue with these eight questions to help you diagnose just about any shooting situation. I thought it'd be interesting or maybe helpful for us to go back and cover some basics. I was you know, working with uh, one of the members of our meetup on a on a meetup excursion in New York a few weeks ago when we went to the uh, St. Bart's Cathedral. And as I started referencing some of the the blog posts I'd written on basic topics, I realized that it's been a while since I've touched on any of those. And I don't want to take for granted that everyone is way down the road when some of us might be earlier on in our learning path. So this is what we will do today. And it's, it's a good refresher, quite honestly, for anyone who shoots because... In these questions, these eight questions, you will not only be able to help yourself as you shoot, but also diagnose why your pictures might not be as as wonderful as you'd like them to be. All right? So this is what we'll talk about in this episode of the Shutterbug Life Podcast. Whether you're going to travel to an exotic location to have that bucket list photography shoot, or if you're just going to go around the corner in your own neighborhood to take pictures, I have a simple formula that will help you always be able to create great photos and create great photos consistently, which is what we all want. And the answer is in the questions. You can work through your process of identifying the photo you want to take and the choosing the camera settings that get you there by using this simple format. There are eight questions, and naturally there are other questions you can ask and splinter off, but these basic eight, these are the basic eight that will get you through just about every situation. Now, I like questions as a way of learning because questions can be helpful not in in memorizing or learning principles, but also as prompts to help you make better decisions because it's in these decisions now uh, or the answers to these questions that we find our, our, best, our best photos. So 
let's work through these eight. Number one is how much light do you have available? Now, the first thing you want to do when you show up anywhere is just look around and just take a quick, this is a second, a quick survey of how much light. We're talking about the quantity of light. This is going to be important because one of the first adjustments you will make will be on digital cameras will be to adjust your ISO. Now, the ISO, of course, is where the cameras is asking, it was, is reacting to how much light it needs to get good exposure. How much light do we have available? I like to think of ISO as in search of, if you are thinking about, you know, classified ads, ISO is in search of, and we're in search of light when we're in ISO. How much light do we have available to us? Now, we'll use this information, this decision to to choose the correct ISO. And generally speaking, at the lower level of ISO, you you will require a lot of light. The camera requires a lot of light to get good exposure. And as you go higher with your ISO selections, because it starts at 100, it's usually the double O numbers, 100, 200, 400. As you go higher, the camera doesn't need as much light to get the same exposure. And so what we will generally say is at ISO 100 or 200, you'll use that for bright, sunny days if you're out somewhere where there is a lot of light. If you are outside shooting on a cloudy day, generally speaking, we choose ISO 400 to 800. If you are at dusk or twilight, ISO 800 to 1600 is usually a good range. And if it's darker, if you're indoors, usually ISO 3200 or higher will be appropriate. Now, a couple things to keep in mind with this. And by the way, if you're scribbling notes, I'll have all of these on the show notes so you can have a a checklist and reference for these eight questions and some of the decisions we need to make here. But a couple things to think of to remember here, a couple of caveats is this range of ISOs assumes two things. One, that you are not using a tripod or, or a flash. I'm assuming that you're you're going handheld, meaning the camera's in your hand when you're shooting and you're taking the photograph without any other assistance, like, a, as I said, a tripod or a flash to add more light, which now changes the quantity of light available for your photograph. So if we are in that situation, you follow this. And the reason you follow this guidance is because, as we said, the camera at a low ISO, 100 or 200, requires a lot of light to get good exposure. So at at ISO, and when it's bright and sunny, 100 to 200 is great. It gives you the, the best quality. Ah, perfect. But the thing is, as you go higher and higher, the camera won't need as much light. Now, why is this important? Let's say we're outdoors, and the camera says, I need a lot of light, and it's bright and sunny outside, and you set your camera ISO to 100 or 200. Well, the camera's like, great, I need a lot of light, and and there's a lot of light available, so we can go ahead and we have a great photograph. Now, if we don't change that, and we go, let's say we're walking around, and we happen to decide, you know what, I'm going to stop into a Starbucks and get a coffee. We go inside the Starbucks and we see something that that looks really interesting to us. And we say, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of that. 
you raise the camera and you try and focus and you begin to shoot. Well, if the camera is still at ISO 100 or 200, it still needs a lot of light. And here's the bad news. There's not a lot of light available. So we run into problems. Now, let's back up a little bit and just uh, talk about some basic principles you'll need to know to go forward. When you take a photograph and you let light into the camera to expose either your film or the sensor, you use three levers to control the, the amount of light. The ISO, which is what we're talking about, which is sensitivity to light. Your shutter speed, or how fast the shutter opens and closes when you take the photograph and your aperture or your f-stop, which is how wide the shutter opens when you when it lets light in, when it opens and closes. And the other two, how fast the shutter opens and how wide the shutter opens, are the other two things that will also be controlling how the camera lets light in. And these three work together, and we call them the exposure triangle because they're inter interdependent, it's meaning if you move one to keep the same amount of light, usually something else has to be adjusted. One of the, the, one of the analogies I always liked was when you are pouring a gallon of water through a spout, let's say, into a container, and you have a small opening, you can, with a small opening, take a long time to pour that gallon of water through, or with a larger opening, that gallon of water would go through much faster. It's the same quantity, the same gallon of water, but depending on the opening, it can either go through faster or you can let it go through over a longer period of time. Well, this is what we're doing with light. So back into Starbucks. We're in there and we lift the camera and we were pointing it at the latte because we're going to post this picture in, on, of our coffee on Instagram because no one has ever seen coffee before and it's now our job to share our coffee with the world. So here we go. We raise the camera and it's still an ISO 100 and we begin to take the photograph. Now, what you will likely hear is click, click. And if you're a photographer and you have the camera in your hand and you hear click, click, you ought to treat that sound with, with horror because it usually means that you are going to be in some serious trouble. Remember, we talked about the other two things, how wide the shutter opens and closes usually controls your, your depth of field, and we'll get to that in a little later, and how fast it opens and closes is your shutter speed. Well, if, it is, if that shutter speed is too slow, when you depress the shutter to take the photograph, you move the camera, and of course, that will create what's called camera shake, and the picture will look blurry. The reason this is such a horrible situation is there's no known cure for this. There's nothing, there's no way of fixing this. When you get home and your latte is slightly out of focus because the shutter speed was too slow, there's no way of going back in Photoshop and fixing that. So you've got to get that right at the time when you shoot. So now you're you're in there and you're shooting and you've set the your ISO to 100 or 200 and because the camera needs more light it's looking for more light and the only other ways to get more light is to either open wider with your aperture or because that won't be enough likely stay open longer with your shutter speed and so the camera's shutter speed stays open longer and longer and longer to let enough light in to get good exposure. And when that does, because it, it's taking so long, you actually hear it in a lot of cases. But even if you don't, if it's staying open too long, you get camera shake and you don't want that. 
Now, here's why the ISO is important. Because it is now changing the camera's sensitivity to light, if you choose a higher ISO, the camera no longer needs as much light. So I go from 100 to 400 when it's cloudy, or as I said, 800 to 1600 if it's you know becoming dusk or if we're indoors, you're going 3200 or maybe even higher. And a lot of the new cameras now can perform really well at these high ISOs. But what's great is once you raise the ISO much higher, the camera no longer needs as much light. And so the shutter speed becomes faster. And you can go ahead and take that photograph now and avoid camera shake. Now, if you're using a tripod, remember I said there are two caveats or there are two you know, situations where you won't be doing this. If you're on a tripod, then because at the time you won't be touching the camera, you'll use either a remote control or you'll use your, your self-timer to have the camera take the photograph two or five or ten seconds after you've depressed the shutter. Because you're doing that, you're not worrying about camera shaking. You can now go back and choose a lower ISO. Now, so you're indoors and you are going handheld. And if if you want to learn more, I'm not going to go too deep on some of these other top topics because I'll have links to posts where I've explained them in more detail if this is a little confusing to you. But the point here is the first question you'll ask yourself is, how much light do I have available? Because you're going to want to adjust that ISO. If you are outside you're gonna, and it's bright and sunny, you're going to want to choose one or 200. If it's cloudy, it suddenly becomes cloudy or you go under a canopy of trees, you're going to want to go to 400, 800. And anytime the light changes, you're going to want to adjust your ISO. And so your ISO will be the first thing you adjust. And usually you don't need to mess with it again unless the light changes, meaning you go from indoor to outdoor or you go from sunny to cloudy or somewhere where the the light changes significantly. But for the most part, this is the first thing you check. You change when you get out of the car. When you go indoors, you will change it again. Anytime the light changes, one of the first things you want to do is change the ISO in your camera. So question number one is then, how much light do I have available? And based on that, you'll change or adjust your ISO. Question number two is what's your light source? And this is something that you're going to want to be reacting to throughout the eight questions, but you but you still want to be aware of it up front. And now we're talking about not just the quantity of light, but the quality of light. Where is the light going to be in relationship to you, the the the, the photographer? Is is it going to be at your back or is, are you going to be shooting into it? Is it going to be on the side? Is it going to be late in the day or is it going to be in, in midday? Is it going to be filtered or diffused? A lot of lot of adjustments you can make based on that, but it helps you really sort of identify what kind of light you you will be working with. And again, we will react to this as we go through our eight, but but this is one of the first things you want to sort of take note of. The quantity of light, and number two, the quality of light. And that, now you're ready to start working. So you ask yourself, Question number three, this is a picture of a what? Now, this is one of the more important questions because it helps you decide what's going to be the most important thing in your photo. 
It's where your viewer should look, should look first. And it's almost impossible to create a great photo without answering this question. We talked about this back in episode 57, if you recall. Your camera makes everything look the same. And so your job as a, as a photographer now is to now undo that by deciding what will be most important and making it stand out. So you ha- you begin that process by saying, this is a picture of a what? And you you decide what that will be. And, and when you decide this, the answer will be singular. This is a picture of, of a what? Because you have to decide what that one thing is. Now, often I'll say, what's the subject? And then someone will say, well, it's this and it's this. And like, no, 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 no. You can't do that because you need to focus first on one thing. Now, you can have a primary and maybe a secondary, but there's going to be one place we're going to look first. And you have to decide what that is. And before you even pick that camera up and hoist it to your face, you need to be very clear about what that is. This is a picture of a what and decide what that one thing is, because that decision, that one decision will impact every other decision you make from this point forward. You can't make good decisions if you aren't clear about what the subject is, because as you'll see as we go forward now, through the other questions, deciding this what this is a picture of will help you be clearer about what to do next. As a matter of fact, even going back to question number two, knowing your light source, this will be important because it will now be in relationship to your subject. This is a picture of a what? And nine times out of 10, if you have a picture and you are not happy with it, it's because you are not clear about what the subject is. And nine times out of 10, when someone looks at your photograph and they go, "Uh, it doesn't do anything for me, it's because they aren't clear on what your subject is. You will be surprised that if you make it very clear, and we'll get to number question number four now, is it obvious? So it's not just enough for you to know what that subject is, it's now the your work to make it obvious to me. So that when I look at the photograph, having not been there where you were when you took that photograph, having never seen the location before, having no idea who you are or what you like, I pick up your photograph or I click on your photograph, I know what this is a picture of. And the the, the more obvious it is for me, the viewer, the more I'm going to be inclined to like the photograph. So you have to be clear. This is a picture of a what? You are clear. Is it obvious? Good, you make it now impossible for your viewer to miss. So this is where we use a lot of your your composition tools, your leading lines, your natural frames, your selective focus. Um, you interrupt patterns. You do all these things. And a lot of these things, while they are artistic, they have the very you know practical purpose of leading your eye to the subject or complementing your subject in some way so that your viewer looks, they are very clear about the subject. But not only that, everything else in the photograph leads you there. Is it obvious? Is question number four. Question number five, are there any distractions? So it's now you've looked and you've decided this is going to be my subject. And then you've decided 
um, I'm going to make it obvious. And so you've looked for ways to employ some of the other tools like uh, selective focus we talked about or any of, the, any of the other ways or maybe just using the easiest tool of all by going close to whatever it is and filling the frame with it by giving it mo- the most real estate of anything else in in the image. You have now signaled to us that this is the most important thing. Great. I know what it's a picture of. You've made it obvious for me. And number five it will be, you know, are there any distractions? Is there anything else in this frame that might potentially draw my eye away from my subject? Because now that becomes a problem. Because if we go, hey, that's a cool picture of, hey, what's that over there? And you're distracted by something else. And and the most common forms are usually something else in the frame, a Coke can, a piece of trash, you know, behind a trash can, something else that, or, or words on a sign, there's always something else in the frame that has nothing to do with your subject that when your viewer sees it, it's, it pulls their eye away and makes them go, huh, wonder what that is, or check that out, <laughs> That that's funny, that doesn't belong there. And of course, you don't want that that response. And so it's your job now to say, if are there any distractions? And if you see any, get rid of them. And usually it's as simple as moving your, your body left to right so that you change the background or lower or, or going higher with the camera. In any one of those can help you really get rid of something distracting in the background or, or again, uh, shallower depth of field or something else like that. But the, the work then is to make sure or getting in closer and just cropping it out, making sure there's nothing else in that frame that's going to provide any distractions. All right, so this helps you begin to to frame up what your subject and uh, begin now to do the work of creating a photograph. Now, you have to decide now your camera settings. And my decision tree for doing that is fairly simple. My question will be, question number six, is my subject moving? Now, this whole decision tree, I've, I've done a, um, a, a slide share on it, and I'll include that in the show notes so you can really walk through that and, and sort of see how it works with, with images, and that might be helpful for you. But in your decision tree, you ask, is my subject moving? If the answer to that question is yes, then you will think shutter speed. And you'll do that because your shutter speed is used to show motion or movement or the perception of motion or movement. So remember we talked about that camera shake when the shutter opens and closes, anything that moves while the shutter is open usually shows up as a blur or streak. And you can use that as a tool to, to, to show your viewer that something is moving. Meaning if I am standing somewhere, for instance, and I see people riding their bikes by me, and I decide I'm going to take a photograph, and someone, and I'm using a slower shutter speed, and someone is whizzing by. In Washington, D.C., um, the Capitol bike share uses these loud red bikes, these bright red bikes, and they really stand out. So let's say someone is going by in one of these bright red bikes while I'm trying to take a photograph of the Lincoln Memorial, and I go with a slow shutter speed. Everything in the frame that did not move is sharply in focus. 
But the things that are moving, like the bicycle and the person riding by in front of me right at the moment I happen to depress the shutter, that shows up as a blur. And it's usually the distance they travel while the shutter is open. Meaning with a slow shutter speed, if they move a quarter of an inch while the shutter is open, you will see a blur created as they move that distance while the shutter is open. And with a longer um with a longer, with a slower shutter speed, if it's open longer, you see a longer streak. So if, you, if you've ever seen night shots where you see these long red streaks in downtown city, in downtown city blocks, and you see these long red streaks, this is just a longer shutter speed. So if, let's say the shutter was open for five seconds, you'll see the distance that car traveled as a long red streak. And the distance that car traveled during those five seconds or 10 seconds, however long the shutter is open, that's how long that red streak will be. And this is how we create those long red streaks. So is my subject moving? If the answer is yes, then you get to create the perception of movement by going slow enough to create blur or the opposite going so fast that it opens and closes so quickly that the subject can't move enough to create any blur at all. So if it opens to close so fast, let's say a thousandth of a second, boy, that shutter is opening and closing so quickly that, that very few things are going to be moving fast enough to make that look blurry. And so now you're frozen. We call that stop action. You have frozen that subject right in time. And this is what you'll see sports photographers using if they want to freeze, you know, a subject. Like, for instance, someone is is midair going to catch catch a pass, for instance, and you want to freeze that moment with a fast shutter speed, you can do that. And with a slower shutter speed, you can see that the ball is moving by by the with a little blur. For instance, let's say you're photographing at a at a NASCAR event and a car is is whizzing by 200 miles per hour. You can, with a fast enough shutter speed, freeze that shot so the car looks like it's parked because nothing is moving. It's so sharp, it looks like it is at a standstill. Or you can slow it down just enough that you see a little blur on, uh, let's say, the uh, in the tires or in the rims of the cars, you can see the spokes or the rims, just a little blur, and now you know that it's moving. And of course, everything else in the background that's not moving still looks sharply in focus, and so that signals to your viewer, ah, I know something is moving. And so, if your subject is moving, this is how you will show it's moving. You will choose if you're in your one of your priority modes shutter priority, which is TV on a Canon or S on your Nikon and a lot of other models. And then you get to choose first what shutter speed you will want, and that will lock that shutter speed in. So now you've decided, okay, I'm now at a soccer game where my kids are playing and I want to, they're, they're, boy, they're flying back and forth and I really want to stop action and freeze everything in its place, I will go to shutter priority and I will choose a fast shutter speed, let's say one one thousandth of a second. Now, once I've done that, in a priority mode, the camera says, great, it locks that in and it doesn't touch that again. And as it needs to adjust light, it will use the the your aperture and it will open or close to let enough light in to get good, you know, perfect exposure. 
or what it thinks is perfect exposure. So you get to choose the shutter speed first and lock that in on one of your one of your priority modes. And if you are using shutter speed, you lock that in and the camera will choose the aperture. Now, a lot of people like to shoot in manual mode, meaning you make you choose all your priority settings. You choose all three of your settings yourself, rather, not priority, but all three of your settings yourself. When you do that, you still want to choose your shutter speed first if your subject is moving. You want to make that decision first because now you are deciding what you want to create, stopping action or showing motion or movement. The worst thing you can do is choose to shoot in manual mode and just choose everything in the middle where you're not either where you're not getting any really any creative effect because basically what you've done now is chosen manual mode and replicated what the camera would do in automatic. Okay. So shutter speed, if your subject is moving, the answer is yes. Then you want to start with your shutter speed. If the answer is no, is my subject moving? If the answer is no, then you will want to feature your aperture or your f-stop. The reason being is because if the subject is not moving, and shutter speed is used to show motion or movement, there's no need to use, you know, to worry about the shutter speed at that point. It's not moving. You can't show motion or movement. Then going to f-stop or aperture will be the best place to create. And then in that mode, you will now, if you're in aperture priority mode, AV in the Canon or A in your Nikon, you will choose the f-stop that you want for the amount of depth of field you want to create. With a lower number on the, the f-stop or aperture, meaning f2.8, f2, f1.8, you will have a smaller area in focus. And with a larger number, f11, f16, f22, and higher, you will have a larger area in focus. Now, the larger areas usually used when you're shooting things like, like landscapes, where you want to have everything across the scene. See the shining, see all all sharply in focus, then you choose a larger f-stop. If you are doing something like photographing or shooting portraits where you're photographing a person and you want that person to stand out and every and, and separate them from everything else in the background, remember, we don't want any distractions from our subject, then a, a, a lower number, a smaller number, it will be your choice, F2.8, F4, something like that will help give you a shallower depth of field. And my favorite way of remembering this is, is if you were to line up 20 people, uh, you know, from front to back in front of you, at F2, only two people would be in focus. And at F22, 22 people would be in focus. So this is an easy way of deciding which end of the dial you want to use. So a lower number, F2, two people will be in focus. A larger number, 22, F22, 22 people will be in focus. And of course, if you're in manual mode, you can do the same thing. You're still thinking first about your aperture or your f-stop and then reacting with your shutter speed, which won't matter as much because nothing is moving. Okay, so question number six, is my subject moving, helps you now to choose the shooting modes. So now you've asked questions to help you choose your subject, to 
to, to have the correct amount of light, to choose the correct shooting mode, to decide how you want to be creative with your photograph. And it brings you to question number seven. What's the story? Now, this is important because after you've answered the question, this is a picture of a what and fill in the blank. You know, another logical question could be, so what? Because you could do all the other six things perfectly and still create a boring photograph. So why should I care? Why should I stop and look at this photograph? With all the millions of photographs that I'm going to see or take in as I scroll through my feeds on Instagram and Flickr and all the other places I look at photographs, why do I stop and look at this one? And really what you're looking for is impact. And impact you'll find in the next two questions. Again, it's number seven, what's the story? Like, what do I want to say with this photograph? And what makes me, you know, what's the story? And if you can think about each photograph as a moment in time or a story, now you begin to create more impact. Because if, if, if you're thinking about the story, it will really, it will really inform where you stand, For instance, if you're taking a photograph of a person and if you think, what's the story? And you think, I want to make this person look heroic, then a low angle looking up at them is generally the way to do that. If you want to, you know, look down at them, that will create a very different story or a very different look and feel and impact. If you decide that you want to, you know, tell a story about a person, for instance, I saw this really cool shot from Joe McNally the other day. He was doing these blues, this photograph of these blues legends. And one of the things he did was he went in, and I'll I'll link to this. And one of the things he did was he went in and did some close-ups of these, you know, these these hands holding the harmonica and of course you know the hand that has that you know lived for years and years and you know they're clutching the harmonica and in the hands you can tell so many things about the person so with a with by choosing a detail or a different level of focus you can tell a very different story it's the same person sitting there but you can say this person is is you know you can go back and say this person is a, is a in a big room by deciding to back up a little bit you can get close and make it more about the person you can zoom in on their face and 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 make the story about their expression you can focus on their hands for instance and have the story be about something else you get to decide now with the person sitting in front of you what you want the story to be about what do you want to say you remember that I don't know if you've if if you might have imagined if you might have seen this video that Canon Australia did, where they had uh, six different photographers I think it was six, taking photographs of the same subject and each each person would come in and the subject would tell them a very different story about who he was, and then they would begin uh, the photo shoot. And it was very interesting because based on who he said he was, the photographer shot them very differently. And so you got these these portraits that look so very different. 
And I'll link to this too, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, they did the experiment to show, look how much the photograph changed when you told a photographer, you know, a different story. And I, and I looked at that and I said, well, exactly. That's the photographer's job. If I know who you are, then with this tool in my hand, this camera, I get to decide how I tell that story to the viewer who hasn't met you yet. And and I thought all six really did a great job of telling that story of, of who he said he was at the time. And so this is what you get to do because it's the same subject and you can tell so many different stories. And in in the telling of that story, that's where you start to create impact and make the photo begin to stand out and move from ho-hum to interesting. And you can move from ho-hum to interesting to really impactful by asking and answering question number eight. Where is the emotion? Because if you think about what do we feel, this is where you have the most impact. And you see this every day on when you watch the news. Let's say there is uh, a big fire next door to your home. And, you know, God forbid, your neighbor who you've known forever really was harmed or perished in that fire. Now, when CNN shows up, what they'll do first is take uh, some footage of the fire and then they'll stop and talk to you and they go, they'll ask, did you know the person in the home? And you go, yes, this was my best friend and we've known each other for 30 years. And then they'll start pr- asking questions to get an emotional response. Wow, tell me about the last time you spoke. You know, how do you feel? And what they're trying to do is get an emotional response. And if you like, you know, a lot of people might do in that situation, begin to respond emotionally where you start crying or doing anything where you show any, you know, extreme emotion. This is when the camera starts zooming in on your face and locking in on. And this is what, you know, leads the the, the broadcast. It's the emotion because this is what will now reach into our hearts and tug at us. In the museum in Washington DC which is the museum of news they have you know this this um standing exhibit there of all the pulitzer winning photographs and what they all have in common is they all have this really strong emotional content they all just tug at your heart and you know just reach into your heart and yank it out of your chest and this is why of course they are being recognized at that level because the emotion is there. And if we see the story, it will draw us in. And if we feel the story, we'll always remember the photograph. We'll always remember. And so now your job as a photographer is to go, where's the emotion? As you're shooting, you have to ask yourself, where's the emotion? Meaning, you know, what do I feel when I look at this scene? We're like, and, and do I feel anything at all? And Or better yet, what's my subject feeling? And how can I communicate what my subject is feeling to my audience and to my viewers? And often you're just waiting for the point where the emotion is highest. Again, the CNN reporter trying to get emotion. And at that point where you begin to show emotion, that's where they lock in on you. And so at the height of the emotion is where you'll get 
the strongest photograph in most cases. The height of the emotion, the height, the height of the action, and the height of the emotion, and usually it's in a reaction to something that you often. It, the easiest way to find emotion is to look for reaction, action, and reaction. The action is the house on fire. The reaction is how you how you are responding to it, or in any you know we talked about in Latin the last episode. If you're looking at a parade. The parade is the action, and then you turn around and you see how people respond in amazement and joy and wonder or whatever experience, whatever emotion they're showing on their faces. Yeah, this is where this is where you make you know the real impact. This is where wedding photographers make their money. It's as you know, in the middle of a wedding. When the tear starts trickling down the bride's face, the cameras are just firing away. And when mom sitting in the front row is dabbing her nose and blowing her nose, when the little kid is, re- is impervious to what's going on, reacting in joy, yeah, this, these are the, the scenes that the wedding photographers live on and live and breathe on because it's reaction shots and it's not just the reaction, it's the emotion. It's people reacting with emotion, and it's it's us. It's capturing the emotion that will elicit the response from us. And so, your job now is to go: where is the emotion, and help us understand what they are feeling and what you are feeling. So, we'll go through these eight these eight questions, and if you can sort of walk your way through these eight questions, and of course, if you go to the show notes, I'll have you know other links that will go into a lot more detail on each of the eight, but these are the eight questions you want to ask and answer in just about any situation. How much light do I have available? And adjust the ISO. What's the light source? This is a picture of a what? What's your subject? Is it obvious? Are there any distractions? Is my subject moving? And if the answer is yes, you're thinking shutter speed. And if it's no, you're thinking aperture. What's the story? Let's find some, where, where do we get impact? And number eight, where is the emotion? What do I feel and what will my subject feel? Now, if you use this checklist before you shoot, then you're on your way to capturing a great image in just about every situation. Now, of course, there are other questions that need to be answered, but these eight will get you going and get you going faster in just about any situation. Answer these eight questions, and if you answer these eight questions, you'll find great photos await. That's right. We are going back to New Orleans. Every year in the spring, we take a photo tour down to New Orleans. We take a weekend and see the best of what is truly one of the unique American cities. I thought it'd be fun if we went back again in October because there's there was so much interest in people who couldn't get on into the April trip that we're going to go back in October. So from October 6th through 9th, we're going to go to New Orleans. And on these photo tours, we get a little bit of everything. We photograph the French quarters. We go out and photograph um, cemeteries, you know, the cemeteries that are above ground. We photograph the bayou and alligators and wild boar. We photograph... uh, 
the old historic neighborhoods. We get a wide variety of so many different kinds of things. And the only place to get it is in New Orleans. And during the month of March, you can get in if, if you're one of the first two people for one of the early bird rates where you save 100 bucks. You want to learn more, go to phototourneworleans.com and you will be able to learn more and register at the early bird rate. Well, that's it for another episode of the Shutterbug Life podcast. Remember, you can find the show notes and uh, more information on a lot of the things we talked about. For instance, in all of the eight questions that I have blog posts and other tutorials and videos that will dig deeper in each of these topics. And you can find them all by going to shutterbuglife.com forward slash podcast and looking for episode 58. If you look at the little search bar, if 58 is not the latest one there, just put 058 in. It should come right up. Now, if you enjoyed this and if this was helpful for you, I'm going to ask you to share this with a friend. Obviously, most photographers hang with other photographers. And if you know other people who could be helped by this information, invite them into our community. And I'd be so appreciative if you were to do if you were to do that. Um, then if you like what we're doing here, I'm going to invite you to subscribe. If you go to shutterbooklife.com forward slash subscribe with your name and email, I'll send you a quick reminder every time there's a new episode so you don't ever have to worry about missing one. If you listen on iTunes, go to itunes.shutterbooklife.com and there, you can subscribe to the podcast. Of course, there are links to all of these on the show notes as well. And then finally, if in between the episodes in our Facebook group, we're pretty active there, just a lot of our members who are sharing images as we shoot throughout the week, asking questions, all kinds of fun stuff. Just go to fb.shutterbuglife.com and continue the conversation there. We often, on these episodes, continue the conversation as well in the Facebook group. If you are in Washington, D.C. or nearby Washington, D.C. or New York City, we have meetup groups there that we that you can join. We go on shoot a couple times a month, and you can usually find us out and about shooting together, just a friendly group of photographers. Um, you'd love it. And if you are in learning mode, then, of course, Photo Tour D.C., offers workshops, but the one you'll want to check out is Photo Tour New Orleans, where we go to New Orleans for a weekend of a full immersion learning. And you get to see just a wide variety of different kinds of subjects to shoot. Now, if you're in Washington, D.C. and you've got a teenager, send them on over. We have a, a teen camp. There's just so much going on, so many ways to learn, so many ways to shoot, so many ways to have fun. Um, you, you, there's just no excuse for not jumping in, having fun. And if you want to learning and taking your photography to the next level. So that's it for us for this week. Thank you so much for joining and for being a part of our community. Uh, we'll be back again with another episode and until then, whatever you do or wherever you are, enjoy your shutterbug life. Take care. <laughs>